everybody. Welcome to another episode of The Bottom Up Revolution. I'm your host, Tiffany Owens-Reed. I am a writer at Strong Towns. I am an urban enthusiast, and I am the host of this show. This is one of three Strong Towns podcasts. If you haven't checked out the other two, you definitely should. Uh, this is the show where I get to talk to ordinary people who are putting Strong Towns principles into action in the communities where they live. Not everybody that I interview is even a Strong Towns member or has even heard of Strong Towns. It's not a requirement. They're just people that we've noticed or heard about that um, are, are doing the good work. They're uh, walking the walk and talking the talk, as you would say, or walking the talk. I'm not really sure how that goes, but I think you understand what I'm saying. I hope on this show, through the stories and, and interviews and conversations, that you realize that you can, uh, you probably have what it takes to begin advocating for more resilience, more beauty, um, more safety in the community where you live. Um, and yeah, I, I'm having a lot of fun recording the show and um, I'm, I'm hearing some great feedback where people are, are being inspired to take action and that's the best feedback I could possibly hope for. Today, I am joined by Dee Kemp. She is a native of Milwaukee with a long background in the real estate industry. She is passionate about helping close the home ownership gap within her city's Black and Hispanic communities. As the vice president of programs at Axe Housing, she oversees the home buyer coaching, lending, and home rehab programs that help first-time home buyers realize their dream of owning a home. We've had a lot of fun just connecting uh, today before hitting the record button and also uh, a couple, week or two ago when when uh, we had our little pre-chat introductory conversation. I wish this was on video because Dee is currently wearing the coolest t-shirt I've seen in a long time, but unfortunately, you'll just have to take my word for it. Um, Dee, welcome to the show. Uh, to kick things off, tell us about Milwaukee. You grew up there. It's your hometown. What do you love about your city? I love everything about my city. Milwaukee is a small and very eclectic city. You get from one side of town to the other in about 30 minutes or less. We have great restaurants and theaters. The Milwaukee Symphony Orchestra and the ballet are amazing. So you can always catch a great show. We're definitely a sports city, even though we're a small market. We have the MLB, Milwaukee Brewers, and we have the NBA's own Milwaukee Bucks. And one of the best things about Milwaukee is that we have the best beer, and we party all summer long at the lakefront with a great festival schedule that includes um, Summerfest, which is one of the largest music festivals in the world. So what are some of your favorite memories from growing up in Milwaukee? Um, my father was a Milwaukee firefighter. He retired as the captain of education. So some of my favorite memories are actually just being in a firehouse, hanging out with my dad, um, going around the city um, as an emergency medical person. He knows how to navigate, particularly the downtown, really well. So... Um, just going in and out of the city, being with family and friends and having a great time. My my childhood is full of those great memories. Aww. What was what was your neighborhood like? Uh, can you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. Um, I grew up on the northwest side of Milwaukee. Um, at the time, it was a very middle class neighborhood. 
um, full of homeowners for the most part, not that many renters in the area. Um, definitely a village onto mm-hmm. itself. Mm-hmm. Grew up in a neighborhood where the lady down the street could definitely put hands on you and then would definitely tell your mom <laughs> that you were acting up. So you couldn't get away with anything in my neighborhood. And you you hate it when you're a kid, but you reflect back on it and you're like, man, that's community. And um, it's one of the things I love about Milwaukee for sure. You know, I'm glad you shared that little story because I remember um, recently I just became a mom about five months ago. And before my son was born, I was hanging out with some ladies from my church at like a potluck. And we were there were some of us just sitting around a table and they were talking about Waco. And it was interesting because I'd never really heard anybody um, kind of share this perspective before. But they were all just gushing about how Waco was such a great place to raise kids. And I was like, what? I came from New York, so I'm just used to like more museums and, you know, public transit and like interesting festivals and things, you know, just way more things to do than than what I thought was here to do in Waco. And but it wasn't about the amenities that made them say this. And it wasn't about the the transit or the like, you know, shows that you could see every weekend. It was exactly what you said. They were like, your kids will run into someone they like someone else that knows your family. So it's like they had this whole network of other people in the city because they knew their child would most likely, you know, especially as they're getting older and becoming more independent, they would run into someone from church, someone from the local classical school, someone from, you know, the like the chances of running into someone that knew you and your family were extremely high. And so they were like, yeah, we've all caught each other's kids breaking the rules we had to tell each other what they did had to like remind and i was like wow that's something i would never have thought of and that's just yeah that's it's just such a wonderful perspective um yeah and just gave me it just reminded me of something that i should be grateful for and and appreciate it's so important to the quality of life in a community because milwaukee is small enough where that's the case But then I think it's also big enough where you get all the amenities of Mm -hmm. a city. So to me, that's what makes it one of the best places on the planet. That's wonderful. I love hearing what people love about their city, especially when I get to talk to people who are working in the city where they're from, like born and raised. Just a it's a whole new perspective. So um, I know from our earlier conversation that you did spend some time away from Milwaukee and then you came back um, and then you were in the suburbs and then came back to the actual city. Can you tell us a little bit about that journey and like what what pulled you back to like the city city of Milwaukee? Sure. Um, I'm super blessed. I've lived other places and I've traveled pretty extensively. Milwaukee is definitely home. Um, my parents and all my siblings are here. I settled in the suburbs when I had my son, but I think a big part of that was me being younger and buying into the myth um, that that's a better place for your, mm-hmm. to live with your kids and for them to be educated and it's safer. Um, but I really found that you're just trading one set of issues for a different set of issues and that no place is perfect. Um, and you have to make the most out of whatever situation you're in. I've always been able to make the most out of being in the city. I definitely consider myself an urban girl, probably um, have some undiagnosed adult ADHD. So I love being in the midst of everything. Um, So I think I'm naturally just a city girl, but I have a network here and 
so many people who I care about and love and who I know love this city as much as I do. And I'm definitely a person who believes that we're the ones we've been waiting for. And I feel like I can make an impact here. And if I can make an impact anywhere, I want it to be here because this is home to me. So tell us a little bit about kind of your professional journey. Um, I know that that ties into like kind of going away for college and then and part of that was uh, your journey back to, to Milwaukee. Can you tell us a little bit about that and how you got um, involved and uh, invested in sort of the real estate industry, real estate side of things, and, and then also the nonprofit world? Absolutely. I would take it back all the way to when I did an AmeriCorps internship in the city of Milwaukee, um, a little bit after returning from Detroit. And they placed me at the Park Lawn YMCA in the city of Milwaukee. And it was the first time they had put um, a YMCA and its associated programming right in the middle of a housing development. So I started learning a lot about housing um, at that point. Wasn't something I was interested in. Didn't really care about it too much. Um, but I realized the impact it had on everybody that I was working with and how crucial housing is to stability and being able to move your family forward. So from early on in what became my career, um, I just knew the importance of it. I did a lot of for-profit work um, in property management. And unfortunately, that work had me in court a lot removing families from their homes. And I don't know anybody who enjoys that. Mm. But again, I learned a lot. I learned about the rights and responsibilities of renters, um, how to communicate that to people. But again, you see the benefits and drawbacks of renting and the lack of stability it can cause for families when they don't have that stable housing, whether that's rental housing or permanent housing, when people aren't in affordable and sustainable situations, you you see them spiral out. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's, there's definitely a relationship between that um, material good, right? That house and not just the sense of home you're able to cultivate, but just like the whole trajectory of your life, I think in a way. I'm sure you saw that up close. Absolutely. And I, you still see it now. Right now you have people who they're seeing their rent go up every year and not by small amounts, by hundreds of dollars. So you almost have a race to the bottom for people who are trying to keep their, their housing expenses of, as affordable as possible. And a lot of times that, that will push you into certain neighborhoods that you might not want to be in. It may have you paying much more than you can actually afford to be paying to be exactly where you want to be. And even then, a year later, they can say, oh, OK, the market's great. We want 200 more dollars per month. And if that's not affordable for you, you have to find something else. And each time you do that, we're typically not talking about an individual. Each time you do that, you're uprooting a family. Mm -hmm. And that could mean that a kid's school is changing. That could mean that your medical provider is changing. Um, it changes so many things in your life, depending on your circumstance when you have to move, that it creates that instability when you're constantly moving. And it also changes and affects like your perception of community, like who your community is. 
when absolutely yeah. and I find that a lot of people who are kind of moving from place to place renting they don't have a sense of place and that's what I've always felt about the city like it's my city it's my place and when you don't have a sense of belonging anywhere um you don't have roots anywhere it's difficult to start putting down those roots and to get yourself in a situation that you feel is permanent and sustainable mm -hmm. so that you can do all the other things that you want yeah. to do. One of the things I consistently say in the community is that there are so many dreams deferred yeah. in our community from a lack of financial stability. Mm -hmm. And key yeah. to that is housing. Yeah, that's real. Um, so can you tell us about uh, Axe Housing, kind of how you came there and, and what you do? Absolutely. I started in Axe, at Axe about four years ago. Um, we do so much over here that we actually counted in dog years. So I've been at Axe for like 20 years. <laughs> um, but I started here as the director of the homebuyer coaching program. Um, I was able, I had a great boss and mentor, Dorothy York, who was our chief operating officer at the time. Um, and one of the great things about getting this job was that one of my first directives was, hey, we have a lot of African-American families who we see start the program, but we don't see as many of them finish. So we need to figure out what are we doing wrong? How can we better serve this community? How can we better meet their needs? So I felt from the beginning, like I was in the right place mm -hmm. because if you want me to help more of my people get into home ownership, which is something that I'm passionate about already, mm -hmm. um, and you're going to make that my job and pay me to do it, say less. Mm -hmm. I'm there. Mm -hmm. um, so I've been here for four years now, um, and I've been elevated to our vice president of programs, overseeing multiple departments that um, are the people that we serve touch. Um, Dee, I think it's, I was kind of like gazing off into the background a little bit while you were talking because I thought I was just kind of thinking about your story and how cool it is that you're now like kind of what you were saying about your, your old job um, where you found yourself in positions of having to be part of a system that was evicting people. And now you get to be part of a, this, this plan and this organization that's do doing the literal opposite, which is like really, well, I, that just must be really cool for you to kind of see see that story play out in your professional life it's amazing it's super unexpected mm -hmm. i think that we all end up where we're supposed to be and sometimes we don't know how we're going to get there or mm -hmm. where that destination is but when you end up there you know why you kind of went through all the other things before because i can bring all of the knowledge that i have to the table um, and really speak to people whether it's one-on-one -on -one or in group settings about renting and the transition to home mm -hmm. ownership and why it's so important. I've seen it in action so much that I have all the stories um, and all the reasons to really help motivate people to move themselves into home ownership mm -hmm. if it's something that they want. Yeah. Um, okay. So let's, let's get really specific about what you all do at Axe Housing. Give us the like... I don't know if you want to call it elevator pitch or the 
Axe Housing 101. But yeah, break it down for people who who might not fully kind of ca- uh, grasp uh, what you all are doing in your city. Absolutely. So Axe Housing grew from a grassroots organization in 1995. We were helping refugees find homes in the local area. Most of the properties were distressed. And so Axe, which was a really small organization at the time, um, and it was run by a local priest in the city of Milwaukee employee, helped families buy these houses and rehab them. The idea was that you buy a house and you help build a community right there where you bought the house. So since then, we've gone on to support over 300 families every year buying a home. Um, in fact, about 2% of houses in Milwaukee are owned by Axe families, which is pretty cool. We really see ourselves as a one-stop shop for families. Um, and on a one-on-one basis, we say, what are the barriers that are holding you back from home ownership? And we really work with you to knock down those barriers so that you can become a successful homeowner. There is no wrong way to buy your first house. So a big part of what we do is really educating people on the landscape Mm -hmm. and what's available in the city and what makes sense for them based on their circumstances. Um, For some families, that's a move-in ready home. For Mm -hmm. some families, that's a purchase rehab, Mm -hmm. which will help you get through that process as well. We make referrals to organizations like Habitat for Humanity. Um, We make referrals and have had families uh, buy land trust homes. So again, in the spirit that there's no wrong way to buy your first home, one of our primary jobs is to educate people, educate you on how to get yourself credit ready and position yourself to be able to get a mortgage loan, Mm -hmm. educate you on what's affordable and sustainable educate you on the housing landscape. And with all that information, we believe in empowering people and that they have the ability with all the information to make the best choices for themselves and their families. Speaking from personal experience here, um, I I don't think like maybe this might um, be obvious to some listeners, but it's probably not obvious. Like how many people grow up in a, in a, in a, um, family where there's a generational pattern of never owning a home. Like that's my story, right? Like I do not come from a background of homeowners. So everything you're saying, I know of by tangential exposure, watching other friends go through it. I've kind of figured out like, oh, this mystical world of homeownership a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Um, but like, but I that's one of the- it could be lost on people, the value of what you're doing, because if this is something that gets passed down to you generationally, where it's homeownership is this weird thing some other people do, but it's not anything, it's not what we do, right? Breaking that gener- breaking that stigma and um, breaking down the language and saying like, hey, no, like you can break this pattern. Like you can be the one in your family to like be the homeowner, right? Um, so it's Absolutely. just, it's one of those things where- um, if you're if you come from a background of owning homes and real estate is normal in your family and all of that, like you might not understand, like, why is this such a big deal? Right. But there's a ton of people who like hardworking, you know, living right and all that. Absolutely. Like, I've just never been exposed to like and it's not just like a thing like I don't want to own a home. It's just like it's the air you breathe. You just don't know, you know. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I love that you're saying that because. It's the reality. For example, in Milwaukee, 
even though we're a majority minority city, only 30% of black folks own their home. So it's really easy to be part of a friend group or part of a family where mm -hmm. renting is the norm mm -hmm. and nobody is talking about or is a homeowner. So you don't understand the benefits of home ownership because it's not something that you've been exposed to. And like you said, there's so many people out here they're working every day, they're taking care of their kids, they're going to church, and then the next week it's rinse, wash, repeat. They're not scouring you know, the internet for resources on how to buy a house because in their own mind, it might not have value. They don't understand how important that is to building generational wealth. Um, it hasn't been their experience and we do what we know. If renting exactly. is the norm, yeah. Renting is the norm. Yeah. Um, but that's why we have this huge wealth gap because honestly, credit, home ownership, these are not dinner table conversations right. in community of color. So we're really working um, not only to change people's thinking around home ownership, but consistently encouraging them to make this dinner table conversation, mm -hmm. to make sure that the next generation of their family does understand the value of owning and having assets that you can pass down mm -hmm. because that's how we're going to close this wealth gap that we yeah. hear everybody talk about. So how do people find you guys? Like, talk, I'm just curious, like, yeah, what is it like? What are you seeing when people walk through the door and, and, and they're interested and they want to learn more? Tell, tell us a little bit about, about who they are and, and where they're coming from. Probably our greatest method of recruitment is our alumni. Mm -hmm. It's folks who come through our program successfully and affordably buy their first home and their friends and family or even their neighbors are, how did you do this? Mm -hmm. And they're able to direct them to us. So I'm always proud that our number one for source of referrals Mm -hmm. are people that we've already served, because mm -hmm. I think that speaks to what we're bringing to the community. We have put a lot of effort recently into making sure that we're in the spaces and places where those hardworking everyday people who might not be thinking about home ownership, but are totally capable mm -hmm. of achieving that milestone, We've made it our business to be in the spaces they're in. Mm -hmm. So we're doing a lot of work within the churches mm -hmm. um, just to let people know, hey, if you're paying $1,200 a month in rent, I need you to know that that's an $130,000 mortgage. Mm -hmm. And would you rather own something for yourself that you have total control of? Or do you want to continue paying someone else's mortgage? Yeah. Because that's what you do yeah. when you're renting. Yeah. Yeah. So really just putting the information. I bet you open right. a lot of eyes with that line. <laughs> it's it's incredible. And, and it, it actually, it brings me a lot of joy, but it also keeps me in the mindset of, I have so much work to do. Mm -hmm. I have so much work to do within the community to let people know that this is a viable option. And not only that, for this city to be the city I know it can be, I need my friends, my families, my neighbors, other people who look like me to own a piece of the city, to take the same pride in it that I do, yeah. um, to want to see it get better like I do, because it's their city as much as it's my city. Yeah, I appreciate you saying that because I think there's um, there's so much 
power and thinking that way versus I think sometimes I get this feeling that cities are expecting like tourists to fix the city or like, you know, like people from or or like transplants to kind of save the city and kind of what you're getting at is truly kind of the heart of the show this like bottom up revolution and you basically saying like the future of the city is staked on the people who have staked their future on the city like in this really bottom up way you know like going to doing yes. the work going to the programs getting the getting themselves in a position to be able to own a home um and, the, and I think you're right. Like, I think that's the right way to think of like, how can we empower the communities that we are, like the people who are already living in our city, how can we empower them to be part, to be part of this, be part of this process and this conversation? And not only that, to let them know we need them and we want them to be part of the process and the conversation. Like I said earlier, I strongly believe that we are the ones that we've been waiting for. In Milwaukee, we have this incredible tapestry of nonprofit organizations, mm -hmm. but a lot of times as people, we're not willing to humble ourselves and get the help that's readily available mm -hmm. for us. Mm -hmm. I think it's very American to feel like I'm going to pull myself up by my own bootstraps, mm -hmm. and, but that's to me so unrealistic. I like to tell people that if you were supposed to know how to do everything by yourself, God would have made you all seeing, all knowing, and all doing. Mm -hmm. He didn't because we're actually designed to need each other mm -hmm. and to support each other and to form a sense of community. Mm -hmm. You're supposed to have that village to help you raise your children. Yeah. You're supposed to have that village to help you accomplish the bigger goals that you have for yourself. I strongly believe that anybody who says that they, oh, I did this all by myself, you're lying. <laughs> you're lying to yourself and you're lying to me. Mm -hmm. Nobody does anything by themselves. You at least had somebody who patted you on the back, encouraged you, pointed you in the right direction. At the end of the day, you individually, of course, you had to do a lot yourself to reach your own goals and aspirations. But we've all had people who, has, who have helped pull us up mm -hmm. or who have laid the path before us that allow us to achieve on a higher level. Um, tell me in your words or like from, from, from where you sit, kind of how do you flesh out the relationship between, um, this home ownership gap that you're, that you're working to, to, to bridge and kind of the long-term strength and like vitality of your city as a whole? Like, how do you explain to people like the relationship between those two things? You have to do this work person by person then block by block. And then before you know it, you've impacted the entire city. But it is, um, you have to take a bite out of the elephant. You have to manage it. And the way we manage it at Axe is to say, we're gonna go one family by, at a time because each family is unique. And our programs and services, we know they work, but they need to be modified to work best for each family. So we really do feel like, and we've seen in our work, you put that new person on the block and they're renovating the house and mm -hmm. they're painting it. Mm -hmm. And the person across the street is like, well, what color is that? Because they're looking at their house mm -hmm. and they want it to be as beautiful as yours. Yeah. And they're out doing landscaping. And this is how you meet your neighbors and the kids meet the neighbors. And now that neighbor feels comfortable saying, hey, I just saw your kid do this. Yeah. 
-hmm. you know, so they're that extra set of eyes and ears out in the community for you. So it seems like really little things, but collectively the impact can be so huge. And we have entire blocks that are all ax families in this city. And I, I think something there too is like those people have bought into the city. I think home the relationship between home ownership and civic engagement is is so important. Absolutely. Listen, it's already researched and out there that homeowners are tw- vote more often. Mm-hmm. Homeowners call their older people. Homeowners call the police. They mm-hmm. snitch because they don't want to see their property value go down. So they're contacting the police if they see things in their neighborhood that they don't like. Homeowners start neighborhood watches and help the community establish that really good community-based relationship with the police. Um, When you have a policeman and a firefighter and a teacher in your neighborhood and your kids are going to the neighborhood school, all of those things help create a community that is safer and where people's outcomes are better. When you're a homeowner, your health outcomes are 20% better. The educational outcomes for everybody in your household are 20% better because you're stable, you're invested, you're in that same place, you feel safe and secure. Now you're in a position to live your best life and actually work on those bigger dreams that you have for yourself. Yeah. So talk to me about just real estate and housing in Milwaukee in general. Kind of, can you give us some context, what it's like for you all to take this, you know, this slow and steady, this person by person approach? Because I know I can imagine like that's really rewarding, but I can also imagine maybe a little bit scary because like you're competing against some other uh, approaches to home ownership and real estate. I think we talked about this in our other chat, like like big box landlords, we call them, you know, people yeah, coming yeah. in and just buying up a ton of real estate, like really super transactional approach to to housing. Um, what What is that like for you all? How do you all, can you, can you just describe the landscape a little bit, like the competitor landscape or just what, what's going on in housing in general in your city? Absolutely. Let's just talk about the general landscape first. I mean, if you put Milwaukee in a Google search, you're going to come up with the fact that we're the most segregated city and we have high crime and there's reckless driving and it's the worst place for African-Americans to raise children. Um, Just all these negative things um, that you hear about the city, which I find to be really um, not fair. Um, but they are real issues. They are real problems. And you don't just see them in Milwaukee. These are national issues that you mm-hmm. see. Mm-hmm. Um, so definitely wanting to address the real issues that we do have as a community. Um, more recently in the landscape, we have seen the big box landlords, these private equity firms mm-hmm. who are coming into the city and buying up properties Um, if you look at Milwaukee on a map, I can totally understand why investors are really interested in our city. Milwaukee is one of the few cities where you can get a home in close proximity to the downtown area at a very affordable price. Most big cities, it's all about location. You're not going to find something affordable within the downtown area. But we had investors looking at the map and saying, oh, there's a lot of affordability right there in Milwaukee, let's buy up everything. 
And they did. Um, we went through, I believe it was 2022, that we had out-of-state landlords find over a thousand properties, which makes it harder for families who are actually out looking to buy these same properties because usually these sales were happening off market. Um, people didn't even know the houses were being sold. Um, they were bundled. So they ended up getting great pricing on these houses that if that same pricing was offered to these families would have been a game changer, um, but didn't happen. And unfortunately you saw these people who don't live here, who don't have any commitment to the community. They came in, they raised everybody's rent and they didn't pull one permit. They didn't do anything to improve anybody's quality of life in those rental units. They just saw it as a quick opportunity to make money. Unfortunately, that makes the quality of life for those of us who call Milwaukee home decrease. And it increases the number of renters when we wanna see the number of homeowners increase. So it has been difficult uh, to navigate the landscape. And listen, for communities of color, it always has been difficult to navigate the home ownership landscape for all of the reasons that we talked about before. It's not common knowledge. It's not dinner table conversation. It's super easy to believe the myths about home ownership. And if I'm a person who's living check to check and you tell me I've got to save 20% down to buy my first house, which could be anywhere from 20 to $50,000, yeah. I'm saying, forget it. I got to be a renter forever. There's no way I'm ever going to be able to save that amount of money. So unfortunately, a lot of times we talk ourselves out of our own blessings yeah. and we convince ourselves that we can't do something that's actually incredibly doable. Mm -hmm. Now, the positive things about the landscape in Milwaukee is that none of these things went unnoticed. It didn't go unnoticed by our really talented city and state officials. It didn't go unnoticed by the nonprofit and the for-profit community. So I've seen a lot of great collective action around making sure that Milwaukee is owned by Milwaukeeans. Yeah. Yeah. And and we need that. Yeah. Um, so we've had a lot of money go into affordable housing into programs like the ones that ACTS offer to make mm -hmm. sure we're educating people about the opportunities for home ownership. And even this year, we've seen a lot less activity from these private equity firm, out-of-state landlords coming in trying to buy. And I like to think it's because we did a really good job of saying, hey, we see you and we don't like what you're doing. Yeah. And we're going to do what we have to do on every level to make it stop, whether yeah. that's on the government side of things, nonprofit side of things, or for-profit side of things. Yeah. This might be like a bit of a boat rocker of a question, but I want to get your thoughts. Um, okay. So, and this is partly just for my own education, but can you talk to me about affordable housing? The, just from someone who's on the more on the front lines, I this is one of those things where I'm always feel a little bit confused about how affordable housing is talked about and how it's set up because I see what you guys are doing, and you're tackling the real problems, right? Which are like lack of self confidence or just straight up lack of discipline and unwillingness to save, right? Or an education problem. Like it seems mm -hmm. to me like the tools are out there to like 
put yourself in a position to be able to own a home, right? But I feel like so much of the conversation on affordable housing kind of assumes that those things, I just, I don't hear those things being talked about. I don't hear about like, you know, classes to help people improve their credit or to save or to like really bridge these. I hear a lot about like subsidies and like a kind of, you know, these, which maybe there's a place for that, even in the context of what you guys are doing. But I feel like what you're doing really does embody the like bottom up approach. And it, it is slower. It is not nearly as like sexy, right? Like it takes time, like, it, and it takes hard work and like, you know, building relationships and building that trust. Like it's not a magical solution. And uh, I feel like maybe that's why there's not a lot of attention put on kind of that approach to tackling the housing issue. Um, but I'm just curious. I just want to kind of throw that out there and see, maybe you have to correct sure. some things. Maybe I'm not quite framing it correctly. You're like, okay, let me just help you out. You know, this is what people mean. You know, maybe you can clear that up or, or help yeah. me see it more clearly, but I just kind of want to get your response and kind of see like, how do you think it just, it's such a buzzword. And honestly, yeah. I've just oh gotten gosh. to the point where every time I hear it, I just think of like NF inefficient like price distortion weird thing that someone's gonna do it's a policy that's gonna have a whole bunch of weird and like unintended consequences maybe that's just me not really understanding it but okay well, that, that, i'm just putting that out there okay. <laughs> you can respond <laughs> well first let's define affordable housing so what the government defines as affordable housing is they think everybody should be paying 30% or less for their housing expenses. So that's your rent or your mortgage, any associated um, insurance, taxes, your water bill, your gas and electric. Those are all things that if you're paying 30% of your income, well, look, now you have a lot of more disposable income for things like food, saving, your vehicle, childcare, all those other life expenses. So from the federal government perspective, they wanna see people paying around 30% of their income because that leads to what is generally a good quality of life and a good balance where you can pay your bills um, and still do some of the things that you wanna do mm -hmm. other than pay your bills. Yeah. <laughs> Now, <laughs> like buy cool now, shirts, like the one you have. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Now, the reality is that if if I don't have a subsidy, I'm probably spending anywhere from forty to as high as seventy percent of my income on housing and the associated expenses with that, like the utilities. Um, and that is not sustainable. It's not sustainable for any families. Um, it's definitely not giving you your ability to live your best life. Because if I'm putting 50% of my income just to keep a roof over my head, that means I'm clipping coupons to feed myself and my family. That transportation costs, especially in a city like Milwaukee, which the easiest way to navigate that is to have a car. Mm -hmm. So or you're gonna be spending a lot of time on public transportation. Mm -hmm. So it either costs you time or money. Um, so really affordability is about how do we create a situation where people aren't spending more than 30 to 40% of their income on their housing situation. What a lot of people don't realize is that often home ownership is a vehicle to achieve that. Mm -hmm. 
home ownership is often, should always be, in my opinion, when done correctly, cheaper than renting. Mm -hmm. Now, some of us um, want more house than what we can afford. Mm -hmm. That's why for us, affordability is a big part of the education that mm -hmm. you receive at an mm -hmm. organization like ours, because we're really going to go through your bills, go through the numbers and say, how much of your money do you want to be spending on your housing expenses? Okay. That equates to this much of a mortgage. Mm -hmm. And what I think a lot of people don't realize is that most people stay in their home for about five to seven years. So I'm here to get you into your first home, your starter home. Mm -hmm. And I hope that I've taught you enough along the process that in five to seven years, when the season of your life has changed or you've put a lot of equity into this property and you want to move into a different home or upgrade the home that you're in right now, you have all the skills and the credit to be able to go ahead and do that. And that's how you build generational wealth in this country. But that kind of approach to thinking about how, like, for instance, when people say there's not enough affordable housing, I've always thought, OK, what people mean by that is. The base, you know, they're looking at some relationship between, I don't know, average income in the city relative to the jobs that are available and the cost of like the average cost of housing. I don't know if they're measuring renting or buying. And then when that relationship gets distorted, when you can't earn enough to pay a basic housing cost, then that's when we have an affordability crisis. Is that an accurate way of thinking about it in addition to what you said? Yeah. It could be, but at the, I mean, there's just so many factors. I mean, you have to think about the fact that we do have a supply issue, mm -hmm. okay? There's not enough of housing out there um, for people to be able to purchase. And right now, most of the new housing stock that's being built is $300,000 mm -hmm. to $500,000 houses, that's not practical for the first right. person buying their house. That's that second time or third time homeowner right. who that's really attractive right. to. So how do we make sure that we have those starter home opportunities for folks? Because we all have to start somewhere. Right. We're all coming from different places. And most of us can't start with a $300,000 house. I know I certainly wasn't in a right. position to do that. Yeah. So it's about people knowing their housing options and then having an option that's viable for them that's actually available. If I'm making, if I'm looking for a $300,000 house, it's going to be a lot easier for me than that person who's done the math, done the budgeting and said, okay, I really need a $150,000 house. Right. We want to make sure that everybody has those opportunities. I think what I'm getting at is the way that you talk about affordable housing is a lot more granular than I think what we mostly hear about. It's like when, when I hear about like affordable housing issues, uh, kind of just from the 30,000 feet perspective, it doesn't seem like they're really looking at it with this level of granularity. Like, well, okay, what do we, do we mean that, um, like affordability relative to what we want? <laughs> Cause you know, everybody's having an affordable housing crisis at that point, if we just don't can't right. afford the house you actually want, right? right. Um, are we talking about it in terms of like supply? I, I just think it gets boiled down so quickly to like, oh, we just have to hand out more like subsidies or whatever to like help. And I'm like, maybe you're, maybe that's part of the solution, but I think what you're getting at with kind of saying like, yes, there might be a time and place for that, but there also could be a time and place for really like investing in options that help people 
get to home ownership faster or like working with people to help them kind of calibrate their expectations a little bit better and like realize like where they can make progress on that home ownership goal. But also too, like helping city leadership really like come to terms with like a big part of this really is the supply issue and what it is allowed to be built like within the boundaries mm-hmm. of your city. Yeah. And and how are we using what we already have in our cities? Mm -hmm. How are we recycling, reusing, reinventing the spaces that we have to better serve the community? And listen, affordable housing is a huge issue. And I think depending on who you are and what your interests are, you can probably find a city or some data that will support that. Mm -hmm. What I found at Axe is that we do have to take it person by person yeah, because it it truly is unique for Mm -hmm. everybody. Some people just need that better understanding of their credit and how it works. Some people really need some help um, understanding how to address the debt that they've already created so that they can position themselves for home ownership. Some people just need to understand that, oh, I can get a mortgage. And this is the difference between being a renter and a homeowner. It's not as far apart as I thought it mm-hmm. was, which means it's more doable for me. Yeah. Um, and more than anything else, I find specifically in communities of color, it is really about breaking down this process in a way that people know they can participate in it if they so choose mm-hmm. and letting people know that there are organizations like ACTS who view it as a privilege to help you learn these strategies that are going to get you into home ownership and hopefully set your family on a trajectory to financial health overall. So diving um, just one more time um, into what you're doing and your specific role as, as VP of program. So um, you all are really covering all bases, right? Like in terms of like the education, but also you, you all also operate into you can correct anything I'm about to say, but you all operate also as like a, a on the financing side as well. And and so if if you need to kind of help oh, yeah. people with that side of things. Yeah, can just I that was one of the coolest things that I, I really enjoyed hearing about when we had our first chat, just how you all really thinking about this holistically. So can you can you tell our listeners about the about that side of your services? Absolutely. So when you come into our services, the first thing you do is work with one of our coaches. Um, We intentionally call them coaches because I am a big sports fan. So I speak in sports analogy. And I don't know if you've noticed, but coaches don't get in the game. Mm -hmm. Coaches help you perform at your peak level. They help you practice. They help make sure that you're game ready. And so I tell people to think of your home buyer coach the same way. And they're there to get you to your peak performance financially um, so that you're saving at a good clip, so that you're budgeting regularly, so that you're never missing genuine opportunities to cut costs or save money. Um, But the goal of that home buyer coaching process is to get you pre-approved. Um, majority of the families that we work with end up using traditional bank financing. But at Axe Housing, we are also a lender, which is so cool. One of the favorite things about my job, we're a non-traditional lender. So while we do have guidelines and criteria that you have to meet, it's not as strict as the banking system. And the best example of that is that we don't use credit scores 
to determine eligibility for one of our loans. We really look at, have you shown an ability to pay your living expenses um, on full and in time, on time and in full? Mm -hmm. And if that's the case, we want to find a way to get you a mortgage if you're interested in home ownership. Mm -hmm. If you're paying $1,500 a month for rent and you've been doing that consistently for mm -hmm. a year and you don't meet a bank's criteria, I want to figure out a way to get you a loan because you've already proven that you can pay what equates to a $180,000 loan. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so yeah. how, how can I help you get into that even though you don't necessarily meet check all the boxes that a bank would want you to. Yeah. I, I think too, specifically with communities of color, we are unique and banking products typically are not. Yeah. Um, so one of the changes that we recently made to our lending criteria was that if you have child support or you've been in criminal justice impact and you have um, fines or judgments that you're paying as related to that, as long as that judgment amount is less than $50,000 and you're on a payment plan making regular payments towards that balance, we're still going to look to get you a loan. Mm -hmm. Whereas a bank is not going to touch you with mm -hmm. those type of things on your record. And that's that's a challenge that is unique to communities of color who um, have systematically had more contact with the criminal justice system. So how do we make sure that that's not a barrier to home ownership? How do we make sure men in our community feel like they can position themselves to take care of their families and become homeowners, even if they have made mistakes in the past, or even if they have child support obligations? I mean, if, I could, if I'm paying child support, I want my kid to have a house. Yeah. So how, how can I make that happen um, when the system is set up to prevent me from being able to get a mortgage product. So we're in a great space where we're able to really look at the landscape of lending opportunities for folks in our community and see where, where are the potholes? Mm -hmm. Where are things that are missing that can help better serve our community? And in a lot of cases, we're able to fill those potholes and help people who really you know, have been consistently told no by traditional lending institutions, find a way to get into home ownership. And then you also do the rehab coaching, correct? Correct. So a lot of traditionally our lending was actually for exclusively for the purchase of city foreclosed or boarded up houses. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we're trying to take you now from renting to owning and you found a great house, but it needs tons of work and you have no experience, have never done a renovation project. In that situation, we're going to bring another coach alongside you. You had your home buyer coach. They got you to the point that you're pre-approved. If you choose to do a renovation, you're going to get a rehab coach. And that coach is going to do a scope of work on the house. Um, that you're interested in, because we want to make sure that you have a big enough loan to buy that house and fix it up and bring it to code. Now, I do like to tell people this is not HGTV. <laughs> we are not the property <laughs> brothers. You know, we're not going in there knocking out all the walls and putting down <laughs> granite countertops. Like, no, <laughs> we're going to give you a loan. That's an important disclaimer. <laughs> it's critical. <laughs> but we're definitely... You know, our hope is to get you a loan 
that's going to be enough to purchase that foreclosed property and also fix it up, bring it back up to code so that you and your family can move into it so and, and maybe, maybe make just... that 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 one trip to chart to, to to marshall's or something <laughs> just some, oh, some pillows listen. with the fringes <laughs> listen the great thing about these rehab projects is you are there as this rehab is being done so you can make a lot of choices and really make the place your own we have families who choose this option who are you know who have that spirit who yeah. really want to make their own mark on a place like that. So they're, they gravitate, yeah. gravitate towards this option um, because it's ideal for somebody who is like that. Um, but we're going to coach you through that process too, because doing a huge home renovation is not something that's easy. We want to make sure that all your contracts are good, that all the work being done is properly done, that it's been permitted so that you're actually adding value to this right. asset that you just bought and that your family is going to move into. Another great thing about that program is that the families we work with, we know they can't pay to be in two places at once. So if you do a purchase rehab loan with us, you're going to be able to stay in your rental and keep paying rent until you move into that house. And then once you move in, that's when your mortgage payments yeah. actually start. So families are able to remain where they are as they get their house up to code into a state where they can move into it without incurring additional expenses or yeah. being in a situation where they're having to pay to live in two places at once, right. which I can't afford. Right. So I would anticipate they can't afford either. Yeah. Um, Dee, it's been really neat hearing about what you all are doing. I think, um, it's obvious that, you know, what you are modeling about how to address the housing crisis and also the home ownership crisis is a model that really relies on building relationships, like building trust, putting people in the driver's seat of their future. Um, and yeah, taking it one person at a time, which is uh, something to definitely applaud. I, I just, I think, um, it's definitely like a strong town's way of thinking, you know, it's like incremental, look for the next small thing you can do, you know, come alongside your neighbors, come alongside the people that, that, you know, and have access to and, and just start, start, you know, with something small. Um, so I know, you know, it's probably never going to like shock the news waves or anything or, or necessarily, you know, be, be as big and sexy as, I feel like sometimes people, you know, when, when they're talking about housing, we're always looking for that magical solution. And and what you're doing is it's not magical. And yet it is magical, like at the same time. Um, the people we work with are amazing. Yeah. And as you meet people who go through this process and successfully complete it, it, it feels like magic. Yeah, it I can really I can imagine. I can truly imagine. Okay. Last question. If someone was coming to Milwaukee for a day, a couple hours and wanted to get a feel for local life, what, where should they go? What are your favorite places around town? Give us like two or three. Well, if you're coming to town to see me, we're definitely going to go to a Bucks <laughs> game. Um, I am a huge Milwaukee Bucks fan. I'm a huge basketball okay, I'm fan. I'm the person who you have to, you have to tell what sport that is. Oh, stop it. You will still have fun with me. I think that's the great thing about uh, Brewers games and Bucks games. Even if you're not a huge uh, fan of the sport itself, they're just the gathering spaces of the city. So when games are happening, you're going to see tons of people that you know, and you are going to have a blast. You might not know who won or lost when you <laughs> left, but right, you're so, going to so have Bucks, a good time. Wait, so it's Bucks and 
What's the other one? Brewers? The Milwaukee Bucks. Milwaukee Bucks. <laughs> and the Milwaukee Brewers. Okay. <laughs> what, which sport is which one? Baseball is Brewers, right? Yes. I can and tell that Bucks. just by the name. And the Bucks are basketball? Yep. Okay. All right. And we have Giannis Ananakupo. Okay. We have one of the greatest players in the world right now. All so. right. Well, that's, I, I have, I have, I've made a tiny, tiny incremental progress in my understanding of the sports world. All right. So we've got a Bucks game on the list. What else, what else is on that list? Um, depending on what you want to eat, there are some great selections in the city. So maybe after catching a Bucks game or before we could go to daddy's soul food. Um, if you're hankering for that really great stuff that grandma makes, um, that just makes you feel good, but it might make you sleepy before the game. <laughs> um, <laughs> I also love, I'm a big seafood person. So there's a great restaurant that's right on the lakefront called the Harbor House. Um, and it's just always amazing. Um, great seafood and steakhouse with a great view of the lake while you're sitting there. Um, eating a fantastic meal. So you can take a good walk after that, hit Bradley Beach, the lakefront, if the weather permits, um, which it does about half the year. <laughs> you mentioned earlier that you're you're a fan of a good brew. Do you have a go-to, a go-to pint? Um, I am from Milwaukee, so of course I am a Miller girl okay. um, because Miller is made here. So, um, you know, just give me a good Miller. You're not, you're not on like the local brew bandwagon yet. Listen, we have some amazing local. Okay, breweries. okay, give me a and local. Just, uh, what's your favorite local brewery? Uh, I would probably say that my favorite logo is right across the street from the arena, <laughs> which is Good Brew. Um, good Brew. And they're they're a local distillery, and they have a bunch of different types of beers so you can't go wrong some really cool ipas that they've created um so yeah listen if, if you're a beer person come to milwaukee we've got you covered i love a good amber and a good i actually really like dark beers i like stouts and stuff like that so oh my gosh yeah no but yeah people start saying ipa and bitters and i just look at them like they're crazy i look at them almost as though they're talking to me about sports i'm like just give me something that's like amber that's all i can really say <laughs> You would have quite the variety to choose from here in our city. So you'd be in a happy place. Excellent. Well, uh, G, this was fantastic speaking with you. Thank you so much for for taking the time to talk to me and to share your story and your work with us. Um, if you're listening to this, thank you very much for for tuning in for another episode. Uh, we'll put show notes um, with links to uh, Axe Housing and the recommendations that Dee shared with us. And if there's someone in your community that you think we should consider having on the show, please nominate them using the uh, suggested guest link uh, and form. So many of y'all have been using that and I apologize. Apparently I wasn't getting the email notifications as I used to. So I've gone through lately and, and really caught up. So I'm really excited to jump into uh, meeting some of the people that you all have suggested we reach out to. Um, yeah, with all that being said, thanks so much for listening. I'll be back in two weeks with another episode.